Welcome home. As you listen to New Life the Fort, may you continue to experience the fullness of joy, life, and Christ in the days ahead. Romans 8, verse 1 in the Amplified. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. We started last week talking about no condemnation. And I love that because it says, therefore, there is now, presently, for each and every one of us, no condemnation. God isn't looking at us and, going and pointing a finger and saying, you are guilty. In fact, in the eyes of God, he says, you are not guilty. Was it because of anything that we've done? Was it because we were so good? No. We would con constantly, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Every single one of us have missed it. But praise God, there was a man who stood in our place, became our substitute, went to the cross to die for our sins, but was raised to life to give us real life, and his name is Jesus. That's why the Bible says there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It's so important to understand where we are. Not just who we are, but where we are. And we are found in Christ. Christ gives us our identity and he gives us our position. See, with, when we're in Christ, we are found seated with him in the heavenly places. That's what the Bible says, that we now sit with him. God's love for us has put us in a position where we can sit in him and with him to rule and reign just as he would as if he were on the earth today. That's why we need to understand this. This is so important for us. I said this last week, since this is the year of fullness, the devil will try everything he possibly can because he is a great accuser. He is called the accuser of the brethren. And he knows exactly how to get you. Pastor Alvin reminded us last week about a flip chart. It's always the same thing. I don't know if you noticed that. When the devil likes to condemn you, he goes back to the same old thing because he knows exactly what's going to get your attention. He knows exactly what's going to make you feel condemned. He goes, well, okay, look at this. If it didn't get you, next one. Next one. And what does he remind you of? He never reminds you of your future. Because if you're reminded of your future, you know that your future is glorious. So what does he remind you about? He reminds you of the old dead man. He reminds you of your sinful past. He reminds you of every mark that you missed. That's what he reminds you of. He goes, oh, Look at what happened. See, you're not, you haven't changed. You're exactly the same person you were. And you begin to believe that lie. But it's so important that we renew our minds to the word of God. Renew our minds to what he's already spoken. When he said it is finished, you and I in Christ live after the cross. Not before the cross. We don't even live at the cross. We live after the cross. Because Jesus that cross was a, a defining moment in man's history where God took us through Christ from an old covenant where it was about us doing the work, us trying to fulfill the law, us trying to be good before God to a place where we didn't have to do anything but believe in what Jesus finished for us because he fulfilled the law on our behalf. He fulfilled it. He didn't even destroy it. He had to make sure that he fulfilled it to a T. He didn't miss one law. Isn't that amazing? For us, the Bible says if we miss one thing, we've missed it all. But the Bible says Jesus never sinned. Never sinned. And last week we had four points that I just want to remind you about this morning. The first one was that Jesus was condemned in our place. He became our substitute. He was the one that said, you can't pay it, but I can. And so he went to the cross. Then the second one was this, that in spite of being crucified, Jesus had been declared not guilty at least seven times. 
In fact, I'll go as far as to say this. It wasn't just seven times. There were even seven people that declared him innocent, not guilty. Imagine that. Jesus, who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin for us. He took our place. See, we had a sinful nature. On the inside, we were dead because of sin. But it wasn't anything that we did. It was because of what Adam had done in the beginning. But all of mankind now was judged because of that sin. And because we could not pay the price that needed to be paid to redeem ourselves. I mean, let alone redeem other people. We couldn't even do it for ourselves. Jesus came to redeem all of mankind. And yet, he was not guilty. I said this last week just to remind you. The perfectly innocent was declared guilty to make the perfectly guilty innocent. The perfectly innocent was sentenced to death to sentence the perfectly guilty to life. And we needed that because apart from him, there is no life. And so we need to remember that as Jesus took our place, he was condemned in our place, he took the punishment for us even when he was guiltless. Number three says that when we begin to feel condemned, God is greater than our heart. Because what happens is this. When condemnation comes, it begins to put a weight on you. A weight on you that you can't escape. A weight that just, you want to die. You want the earth to open up and to swallow you whole because you can't take it. But God comes in and he says, remember, remember what Jesus did. The Holy Spirit comes and he stirs something up on the inside of you. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at your mistakes. Stop being so self-conscious, sin-conscious, and become Jesus-conscious. Turn your eyes to Jesus. And that's why God is greater than our heart. Because he wants us to understand how great his heart is towards us. That when he looks at us, he's not mad. He's not angry. God has no anger towards you. Tell your neighbor, God is not mad at you. Tell your other neighbor, he has no anger towards you either. See, only some people said it. Because those that said it believe it. See, we think that we need to be punished for our wrongdoings. There are natural consequences to actions. We still live in a natural world. So there are natural consequences. But those are temporary. Those things are temporary. They have no effect on your eternity. And your eternity was taken care of by Jesus. If God has no anger and no wrath towards you, then what does he have? Love. Love. A perfect love, the Bible says, that casts out all fear. What does condemnation bring? Fear. It brings worry. It, it, it makes you draw back from God, and God doesn't want you to draw away from him. He wants you to draw close to him. He wants you to get close to him, to hear what his heart is towards you, and he doesn't go, oh, my son, you've done wrong. Of course not. He goes, son, you may have missed it, but this is who you are. You are my beloved son. You are well-pleasing in my sight. You stand blameless before me. My blood has cleansed you. That is the truth that we need to stand on, not on the facts that we may have missed it, because we all will miss it. But praise God for the blood of Jesus that I can go run into that place and allow his blood to wash me clean. Now, when you're in Christ, you don't want to sin. It's not like you wake up in the morning and go, yes, today I'm going to sin. Today I'm going to miss it. Today I'm going to be as evil as I possibly can be. No, you don't have that attitude. You don't even have that character because that's not who you are. You are the blood-bought, redeemed son and daughter of the Most High God who only has good intentions. But now if you miss it, you can just say, Lord, that was never my intention. And he goes, I know that. But sometimes our emotions can get the best of us. 
Sometimes our flesh speaks very loudly, and we go in that direction. But that's why our minds, our choice, we need to submit to the Father. And we need to follow what he is telling us to do and where he's showing us to go. And the fourth thing to remember is that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. For every person that believes, you are the righteousness of God. You're not going to become, and, you're not, and you weren't. You are presently the righteousness of God. When you step into your tomorrow, you are the righteousness of God. When you step into your tomorrow's tomorrow, you are the righteousness of God. Who you are will not change. Last week I was talking about Noah, remember, being in the ark? Even if they messed up, even if they fell in there, they didn't fall out of the boat. God was the one that sealed them, closed the door in the, for the ark. Only God can open that. And let me tell you, God won't uh, open it to throw you out of the boat. He put you in there to keep you safe. He put you in there to give you a life and a future. And he did that in Christ for us. Amen. Amen. We're going to still continue along these lines. And we're going to talk about a very well-known story um, in the book of John, John 8. It's a story of how, a, how an adulterous woman was brought before Jesus. Are you ready to go through this with me? John 1, 8 to 11, New Living Translation. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. So where was Jesus before this? Why was Jesus returning to the Mount of Olives? Well, prior to this, if you go to John 7, it talks about a great feast. And this great feast was the Feast of Tabernacles. And so there was a huge celebration happening in Jerusalem at that time. And Jesus' brothers actually begin to taunt Jesus and say, well, if you are really who you say you are, then you should go show yourself to the people in Jerusalem. And Jesus tells them that it's not yet my time. But the Bible also records that Jesus slipped away, and he did go to Jerusalem. And when he was there, he began to teach, as was his custom. Jesus loved to teach the people. What was he doing as he was teaching? He was renewing their minds. See, that's why it's so important to sit under teaching, anointed teaching that showcases Jesus. Because your mind is being washed so that you can see the truth of the word. Now, after this, after the last day of the feast, everybody decides to go home. Though you have the Pharisees, of course, beginning to say things about, about Jesus, because as he was teaching, people were listening, and they were saying, he must be the Son of God. This must be the Christ. He must be the Messiah. And of course, the Pharisees were like, you're listening to him? You shouldn't be listening to him. You should be listening to us. Not even the Pharisees. There's none of us that believe that he's the Christ. And then who speaks up? Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus, the Bible says, in John 3, and to ask him. This was in the dead of night, undercover, because he didn't want anyone to know that he believed in Jesus. But he was a religious leader. And so Nicodemus speaks up, and he basically says this. He says that, who are we to judge if this is God or not? So it's interesting that he begins to say this. And what did the Pharisees say? What, are you one of his followers? And then everybody disappears. Everybody goes back to their home. Where does Jesus go? He goes to the Mount of Olives. What's in the, what is in the Mount of Olives? What are you going to find there? The Garden of Gethsemane. A place where he would stay to pray and fellowship and commune with the Father to get his heart on a matter. And so we, this is where we begin. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. Verse 2 says, But early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. Now it says that he was at the temple, but he was actually in a very specific place in the temple. And we see that later on in John 8. In John 8, verse 20, it says, These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. He was in the treasury. 
where there are things of value, where people would bring their offerings, the things of most importance to them to offer to God, you find Jesus in the treasury teaching. So then he goes on. He says, as he was speaking, now, Jesus is there. Get this, he sat down. Jesus didn't stand up while he was teaching and preaching, which was interesting because my picture was always that Jesus was standing. Sometimes we miss all of those little things. These things are important. Jesus was at rest as he was teaching the word. As he was sharing from that place, in the midst of what was valuable to people, he was there in the midst, sitting. You know, we talk about how, how Lord, sit on the throne of my heart. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if Jesus is in the midst of the treasury, where there is treasure, what is he saying? I need to sit on the throne of your heart so that you can hear what I'm saying so that you can live it out. And then what happens as he was speaking? Isn't that what happens with us? We're listening to Jesus. We're at rest. We're listening to what he's saying. And all of a sudden, the religious leaders come, and they're not quiet about what they're doing. They are making as much noise as they possibly can to draw attention to themselves. Isn't that like the world? They get loud, they get obnoxious, and they come before you. And it says what? The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. So they didn't say, Jesus, come here. We have something to talk to you about. No, no, no. They put a woman in his midst, in the middle of all these people who were listening to Jesus as he was sitting there, and they say that she was caught in adultery. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us if she was caught that very day or the night before. Because there was a feast. There was a celebration. People get crazy sometimes. Yes? I'll give you an example. New Year's Eve. Not looking at anyone, just looking above everyone. And sometimes we find ourselves in situations that we should have known better. Mm-hmm. So we don't actually know the story of this woman. We don't know if she was somebody who did this often, if she had one lover that she kept going to, or she just happened to have a one-night stand with a married man, and she was caught in the act. Because my picture has always been that if she was caught in the very act that very hour, they brought a naked woman to stand in the midst of that crowd. Right? I don't think they said, please get changed. Put on some clothes. They didn't care. So it doesn't tell us all those details. But that, but that word there, caught in the act of adultery, actually is caught red-handed. You know, like a thief is caught red-handed? That's what it is. So this woman was caught red-handed having done this deed. Then it goes on to say, um, teacher, they said to Jesus. Wow, all of a sudden they respect him as a teacher. When just the night before, what were they saying? Who is this man? Why are people listening to him? Why do they say that he's the Christ? Why are they bothering to listen to this teacher? He's not of God. In fact, they went as far as to say he was from the devil. That he was full of demons. And yet they come before him, teacher. The religious people know the lingo. Teacher. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says, stone her. What do you say? Now, they, I love this because it's very specific. It says, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. One, one um, commentary I read said that Jesus, it's, it was as if Jesus didn't hear anything. Ignored them completely and stooped down to write on the ground. 
Now, this is an interesting situation because adultery was looked down upon, obviously, and it was subject to death if you were caught. But it wasn't just the woman who was supposed to have been put to death. If they were following Moses, as they said, the law of Moses states that we should stone her. The law of Moses in Leviticus 20 says both the man and the woman need to be stoned. So where was the man? Now, this is not a sexist teaching. I'm just saying, where's the man? Why was the woman only brought there? Because they didn't care about the woman. It didn't matter. The accusation could have even been a false one. They were caught in the act. What were they doing? What were these Pharisees doing? Looking through windows? Were they going around, who's sinning today? Who's sinning? Think about it. So the accusation could have been false. But based on the Jewish laws at that time, the laws had become so lax. Remember, the Pharisees had brought the standard of the law down to something they could do. And so it was easy to get a divorce. All you had to do was say, this person's committed adultery. And you could get divorced. Because at the time, that was a standard. But it had to have been witnessed by two or three witnesses. That's what the Bible says. So we see no man come before Jesus, only this woman. Now it's interesting to look at this woman because the church is likened to a woman, the bride of Christ, who was doing all sorts of stupid things before they came face to face with their Savior. And so you have this woman that's standing there. Now another thing that the Jews would do is that the Sanhedrin would be the one to judge this woman. They didn't bring it out to everyone. There was a court, a Sanhedrin court, that these adulterers would be presented to. And then in, the, and in, then in that place, the judgment and the punishment was given. So they violated their own laws by bringing her in front of Jesus to ask him what should be done. Now, I mean, you think about this. They don't care. They don't care about this woman. They don't care about anyone. They just want to get Jesus. That's how much hatred had filled their hearts towards Jesus. And Jesus didn't do anything wrong. In fact, part of the reason they wanted to try and catch him is because they were so angry that Jesus would eat with sinners. He would spend time with the tax collectors and the prostitutes, and he would just sit there and he would love on them. That's why people loved him. Because he didn't condemn anyone. When they came before him, he didn't, they didn't say, well, you're not good enough to be around me. The Pharisees were like that. The religious people were like that. They said, well, you know what? You've done all these things. If I come near you, it'll rub off on me. I will become unholy. Well, praise God that the Holy One is the one who makes us holy. Our unholiness, our sinfulness does not make Jesus unholy or sinful. It makes us righteous. So as Jesus was friend, friend with sinners, this is what they were trying to do. If Jesus said, well, stone her, then they'll say, then why do you hang out with these people? Why do you love on them? If you say stone them, then why this? But then if he said, no, set her free, you mean you're going against the law? And yet here you are supposed to be a teacher of the law. So what does Jesus do? He stoops down. I was sharing this with Pastor Alvin because, of course, you know, the picture of Jesus sitting. Jesus went from a sitting position to one where he was bent down low. He got down into the dirt. When Jesus was in heaven, he was seated on a throne. But he came down into the dirt to become just like us. And here they are presenting the law to the one who wrote it with his finger? Here's Jesus writing. What's he writing? He's writing on stone. Hmm, sounds familiar. There was another finger that wrote Ten Commandments on stone. 
and gave them to Moses. And here you are telling me, the one who wrote the law, this is what the law says. Actually, it's not even the law of Moses. It's the law of God. Moses just happened to be the one it was given to. So why was Moses the one who was credited with the law? It was God's law. And so they come before Jesus. They're asking him what to do. See, condemnation, which is what they were doing, to remind you condemnation is the judgment and sentence and punishment for a crime. What were they trying to do? They were trying to kill her. They were going to condemn her. Condemnation kills. In the natural, condemnation will kill you. If you live condemned, if somebody's always over you and going, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you begin to shrink and you begin to fear and you begin to worry and you just die on the inside and then you will eventually die on the outside. You will take your life because for you, your life has no worth. Condemnation kills. And the devil likes to take the law and try to use it on you. See, the law is good. The law is holy. But it has no strength, no power to change us. Only Jesus can change us. And so the devil will go, see, you can't live up to this standard. You know what our response is? You're right, but Jesus did. And I'm in Jesus. So by right of being in Christ, I've lived up to this standard. In fact, I'd go as far as to say, I am in the standard. Because Jesus is the standard. He's not just the standard that fulfilled the law, but he's the standard of God's love for us. A love that would go all the way for us. Amen. So Jesus writes in the dust. Now another interesting thing that I found is in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 17 begins to talk about how if there are things that you need for the judges to judge on. You, if you can't make up your mind, you can't make that decision, you now bring that decision to the judges, and the judges now have the absolute and final say in what will happen, whether you like it or not. So I just want to read this scripture to you. Just go with me to Deuteronomy 17, 6 to 13. Okay? It says, Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony or witness of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Because, you know, you have people who can be your enemies. They can say bad things about you. So it's not just one person. Then it goes on to say, The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death and afterward the hands of all the people. Now, let's go jump back to the story quickly. Jesus is on the ground. He's writing. Verse 7 says, They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Let's go jump back to Deuteronomy. It says, the hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. And then everyone else follows suit. So Jesus says, he tells everybody, if you're sinless, you have no sin, then go ahead and cast the first stone. This goes on and it says, if a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge, between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses. See, people had to go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is on a mountain, a mountain range. Then it says, and you shall come to the priest, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days and inquire of them. Now, it's interesting because Jesus was sitting. As a leader, 
in a temple as people were listening. Then it says, They shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you. According to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. Now the man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. So let me tell you, the Pharisees are now being taught what the law actually states. Because if they say and they come and they say, no, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, why are they asking Jesus, should we stone her? They are now coming before a judge to make a judgment call, to sentence this woman. But if, this, if they don't like what, she, what he says and they d decide to stone her, they all must die. So they've kind of put themselves in a very awkward position. I mean, really? Hatred will put you in stupid positions. <laughs> It'll make you do stupid things. They weren't even thinking clearly. Then it says with this, so you shall put away the evil from Israel and all the people who hear and fear and no longer will act presumptuously. No longer will act presumptuously. We don't go ahead with our own decisions to make a judgment call when we don't know everything. See, we, like I said, we have no idea the details of this woman's life. We don't. I'm not saying what she did. I'm not trying to justify what she did, but I'm just saying that we don't know every detail. Let's not be quick to judge. Let's hear everything out. I mean, you notice the woman doesn't say anything. She doesn't defend herself. Nothing. She's silent. Because I believe she probably was afraid. Fear will shut you up. Because who would believe a woman? Who would believe me if all of the religious leaders are saying that this is who I am? So for her, my fate is death. So Jesus says, he who has, the, who has never sinned, let him throw the first stone. Now that word, those words there, never sinned, actually is, because we know everybody misses the mark. We know that, right? Everyone does. But it says, never had a sinful desire. It was never about the action. It was always about the intent of the heart. If you, if, you always, if you listen to what Jesus was always talking about, he always went to the heart of the matter. He didn't base somebody's behavior just on how he acted. He went to see what the person was like on the inside. In Luke 6, 36 to 37, 41 and 45, it says, Therefore be merciful just as your father also is merciful. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? See, he's not, when Jesus was talking, he was talking to the Pharisees. He wasn't talking to normal everyday people. He was talking to the religious people that were trying to hold the people to a standard they could not fulfill. Then it says, a good man out of the tre good treasure of his heart bring forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bring forth, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. But it isn't just out of the abundance of his heart you'll speak. You'll also act upon that. And so you have these men full of hatred. They wanted Jesus' death so badly that they were willing to kill anyone to kill him. It didn't matter. See, adultery didn't begin in the bedroom. It didn't begin at that particular moment. It began with a thought. 
a thought that was thought upon over and over and over, and it became real in the imagination that you acted out upon it. Jesus said this. He said this in Matthew, Matthew 5, 27 to 28. He said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. So Jesus has already spoken these words. If you look at a woman with a desire, a lustful desire, you've already committed adultery. So he who does not have a sinful desire cast the first stone. And what does the Bible say? It says, from the oldest to the youngest, they began to disappear. I mean, Jesus didn't even look up. He didn't go, oh, what? Kept his head down. Kept his head down, doing his thing, but they began to slip away. I was like, Lord, why the oldest? And I go, oh, because they probably have had more desire, those thoughts, those sinful desires, because they've lived so much longer. And that's probably the case. But not one person could throw that stone. All it took was one. Only one to begin, and everybody else would have followed suit. If they were caught, if she was really caught in the act of adultery, then they have reason to throw the stone. So even with that, now you have to think, was she really caught? Because it could be hearsay. I mean, who else was there that saw this happen? The Pharisees that want to catch Jesus? Hmm. So one by one, they began to go. Verse 10 says, Then Jesus stood up and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Because I don't know about you. If I'm the woman supposedly caught in adultery, I wouldn't be looking around. My head would probably be down. I'd probably be shaking because I know what's coming. My eyes might be closed because I don't want my eyes open to see whoever's going to throw that first stone at me. Because really people threw stones to the death. And they aimed for your head. She goes, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And what does she say? No, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. The one person who had every right to throw that stone but you know what I love about Jesus? He had every right, but he wasn't there in the sense that he wasn't there. He didn't catch the woman in that act. I mean, we can say, but Jesus is God. He knows everything. Yes, but Jesus also operated as a man, led by the Spirit of God, doing what he saw the Father doing and speaking what only the Father spoke. He didn't say, well, because I was God, I saw you. No, he just said, well, I don't condemn you either. I wasn't there. These people say that this is what you've done. But he goes, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Now it's interesting. He didn't say don't go and commit adultery anymore. Because we liken that immediately. We... We equate it when Jesus said, don't sin anymore, don't commit adultery. But Jesus is very purposeful when he speaks. If he meant just that, he would have said just that. But Jesus said, go and sin no more. Because the strength of sin is the law. And law, because you cannot reach that standard, brings a condemnation upon you. So to go and sin no more means... There's nothing that will hold you back anymore. I've set you free from that. You know, in, in, Ju in John si 7, Jesus talks about how he is living water. Out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water. What is water supposed to do? Water is supposed to cleanse you. It brings life and it cleanses you. 
And then after this whole incident with the woman, the next statement after he, he says, go and sin no more, he says, I am the light of the world. You have water, a washing, and now a light to see clearly. I am the light of the world. I love this because when Jesus said, I'm not here to condemn you, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you that I'm not here to condemn anyone. I'm here to save everyone. Because what she did, the punishment for that sin, Jesus took on the cross. Jesus became the punishment for that sin. I read this last week, but it's a great scripture to go to again. In Romans 3, 23 to 26, New Living Translation says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. See, this happened before the cross, this woman. And he was being just and fair because what he was going to do was take it upon himself. Now, he gave her the empowerment to sin no more. But I believe this with my heart. It wasn't until she saw the cross and what Jesus did that changed her life forever. She may have missed it here and there, and there may have been moments of condemnation, but it wasn't until the realization that this man who said, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more, and then she sees him hanging on the cross, that she realizes took my place because I was supposed to die. She was. She was supposed to have died with stone. The law was written on stone. And the law, when used to condemn, will bring death to people. It will kill them on the inside first. And because they have no hope, They'll want to end their life. But Jesus came to give us life. That he was being fair. He was being just in doing this. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. And God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. I'm going to read the, this last part in the message paraphrase. It says, God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us, clear, sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public. What happened when that woman was standing there? She was in full view of the public. They saw everything. They heard everything. They even heard Jesus say, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. In full view of the public, to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it is now. This is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his rightness. Remember I said this in the beginning. That woman is a picture of what the church was like. Going our own way, doing our own thing, following our own desires. And yet our Savior, in his perfection, came down and loved us. Ephesians 5 has a wonderful picture of that, about a husband and a wife. It says a wife is supposed to live for her husband, but the husband needs to lay down his life for the woman, for his wife. In, in Ephesians 5, it also says that Jesus is coming back for a glorious 
blameless, spotless church. A church that is not condemned. A church that knows her um, identity and understands the position they have been put in as they stand right before God himself. And I'll end with this. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You might feel like that adulterous woman. You might feel that people are constantly condemning you, bringing up every fault, every failure before your eyes. But you know what? She stood before Jesus. And Jesus was the one that released the words to her. And I release this to you as well. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't condemn you. He, in fact, he tells you, you are not guilty. My blood has washed you clean. Go and sin no more. You and I have the ability to do that now because it's not in our own strength. It's in his. It's him letting us know that because we are greatly loved, because we are highly favored, because he looks at us and loves us unconditionally, we can now come before him boldly. We can receive from him mercy. And what's mercy? Not getting what we deserve. Did that woman deserve to be stoned? According to the law, yes. Whether it was a false accusation or not, because there were no other witnesses, did she deserve it? Yes, but she didn't get stoned. And then grace came in and said, you don't have to live here anymore. You don't have to live in this place. You're looking for love in all the wrong places. I stand before you and I love you. And very soon you will see what real love demonstrated is all about. Because what would she see? The Jesus who did not condemn her on the cross condemned for all the world in public display so that he could say, I love you. Go and sin no more. Amen. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I know there's freedom in the house this morning. Freedom here for those that are in the cinema. Freedom for those downstairs in the Life Center. It's just freedom. And weights are being lifted off the shoulders of your people. That you speak to them and they hear it so clearly in their heart. Neither do I condemn you. I love you. And my love will empower you to live each day full of me. Full till you overflow overflow with life so just receive that today for those of you he's wiping away the tears he's washing away every stain he's causing you to see differently this morning and he's causing you to live free there are people here this morning maybe you've been coming Sunday after Sunday maybe you were just brought today but today, as you've been hearing the word, you're going, I feel like that woman. And as you stand before Jesus today, Jesus is saying, I love you. There is nothing that you could do that will make me love you less. I love you so completely, and I love you so wholly. I know everything there is to know about you, but I love you.
And his love forgives you. His love makes you whole. His love makes you righteous when you believe that Jesus willingly took your place at the cross. You didn't have to twist his arm. He knew you even before you were born. He said, I'm willing to take your place. So if you're here and you want to receive Jesus into your heart today, I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And you raising your hand is just simply you saying, admitting, I do need him in my life. You may have received him before, but you've walked away thinking you've closed the door. But God says, I've opened it, and you're welcome to come back home. Come back into my arms, son. Come back into my arms, daughter. And let me love you and make you whole. So one, two, thank you for your hand. Three, raise your hand to say, I do have a need. Thank you, Lord, for those hands. Even downstairs in the fourth floor. And we're going to pray. All of us are going to pray with you as you put your hands down. Repeat this after me. Jesus, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that I can stand before you today. That I can stand before you today. And allow your love to wash every care. And allow your love to wash every care. Every worry, every worry, every fear, every fear, every sinful desire, every sinful desire. And wash it away. And wash it away. You make me whole in your presence. You make me whole in your presence. And today as I receive you into my heart. And today as I receive you into my heart. I know that I have received real life. I know that I have received real life. I can live empowered. I can live empowered. To say no to sin. To say no to sin. I can live blessed. I can live blessed. Beyond my wildest dreams. Beyond my wildest dreams. And I can live whole. And I can live whole. Because only you can complete me. Because only you can complete me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. For more information, Follow us on social media or visit us at newlifetheford.com.